Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirim and Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak at Shalom. We are now at Mishnah Dalad uh, of uh, the first chapter of Masachat Sotah and of Zion Amur Aleph. And in this Mishnah is attached to Mishnah uh, Hey and Vav. Uh, so we'll read them all together and then take a look at the Gemara's analysis. The first thing that we learn is that the Sota is brought from the local Beit Din with the escort or non-escort, as we saw the dispute in the previous Mishnah, up to the Beit Din Hagadol Shvishalayim, the court of 71. They warn her just as they warn witnesses to a capital crime about the severity of what's going to happen. Ve'omerla, and they say the following, Biti, harbe yayin wine does much, harbe schok levity does much, harbe yaldut childishness does much, harbe shchinim ha'raim bad neighbors have a bad influence. In other words, it's perhaps understandable that you fell into bad ways. Asili shmoa gadosh nechtav biktusha. So you should act properly to save the great God's great name that was written that it shouldn't be erased. In other words, if you're going to, uh, we're trying to convince you that if you're really guilty, you should admit it now, spare the destruction of God's name, and uh, and quit. Acquit yourself of this process, that is. She is told things that are really not fit for her. Now, what not fit for her means uh, is that they are things that are really above her station. Talk about great, great people who did wrong and admitted their, their wrongs, as we'll see in the Gemara. If that works, and she says, yes, I am indeed guilty, she writes a receipt for her ketubah, and she's finished, and the process ends. But if she sticks to her guns and says, I'm innocent, they bring her to the east gate, which is in front of Shar Nikanor, which is the gate into the Azarat. Why there? That's the location where we do the Sota ceremony, the Hashka'a, the giving drink. That's also where we perform the, the do the korban, accept the korban from women who've given birth, and from a mitzorah, and that's that location. The Gemara will go through all three and see why we why they're done there. The kohen The kohen grabs her clothes and rips at them. If they become ripped, they're ripped. If they become into strips, they're stripped. Until she's really uncovered, her chest is uncovered. And then he undoes her hair. Rabbi Yuna disagrees and says, If she had an attractive uh, chest, then then they wouldn't uncover it. If her hair wasn't pretty, then they wouldn't undo it. And uh, we will discuss that Rabbi Yuna here seems to be concerned about the um, possible impact um on the onlookers, and Rabbanon seem not to have that concern. Haitamit kasab alvanim, this is now the, the, we did Mishnahay, Mishnahay began with im amra tmeani. Uh, this now is Mishnahav, Haitamit kasab bilvanim, if she was, was wearing white clothes, machasab ishkharim, we have her wear dark clothes. Uh, if she was wearing fancy jewelry and rings and nose rings and finger rings, we take them off so that she should be degraded. They take a thick rope, they tie it on, on the top of her chest. 
Anybody who wants to can come and watch this, uh, this spectacle. Except for her slaves, because that's not going to have any effect on her because she's accustomed to having them around when she's in a less than a beautified state. All the women are allowed to see her, which of course we just said everybody can come and see her. What does that mean? That all of the women should be uh, oppressed and they should not do as your terrible thing, your abomination that you did. Uh, that's Pasuk in Yechezkel saying you have to come and testify to see the degrading result that happens to somebody who has done a bad thing. All right, first question is, how do we know that she comes to Beit Hagadol? We compare the use of the word Torah in the Sota Parsha to the Parsha Beit Hagadol. Cohen does all of these instructions. In the Parsha, Beit in the Parsha Choftim, it says, based on the Torah that they instruct you. Just as that case is the Beit in of 71, similarly here. We warn her, and if you recall, in that Mishnah we said we warn her to try to get her to admit that she's Tmea and not to drink. We have a different ruling that says just as we push her and warn her about the consequences of not admitting it when she's guilty, we also warn her that she should not admit to it if she isn't, if she's not guilty. Uh, as we warn her to admit it if she is guilty and not stand uh, stand her ground wrongly, we also admit her that, uh, uh, encourage her that she should stand her ground if she's innocent. If you really know your Torah, stand up and drink. You know the water? It's like a dry balm that's put on flesh. If there's a wound there, that it seeps down and goes into the wound and it hurts. If there's no wound, it doesn't do anything. In other words, the water is only catalyzed by the flesh that it's on, or in this case, by the person who drinks it. So we see that we tell her not to worry about the water, and she should drink the water if she knows she's innocent. So the answer is low Our Mishnah is referring to a case, to this circumstance before we take the Megillah and write it and then erase God's name. At that point, that's our first concern. Once God's name has been erased, then we push her in both directions and say, either you should uh, not drink if you're really guilty, or if you are guilty, then you re- if you're if you should not drink if you're guilty. And on the other hand, if you really are innocent, you should stand your ground. Megillah has already been erased. So we said they say things in front of her that uh, demonstrate about the importance of admitting your your sin. Let's see what that is. And things that are found in early um, in the early text, meaning in Tanakh. Chachamim admitted, and they weren't uh, didn't keep it from their ancestors. Who is that? Yehuda Yehuda, the famous case of Tamar. He admitted his crime, and he didn't wasn't embarrassed. What was the result? He got the world to come, as we'll see in the upcoming Agadah. Ruven Ruven also, after doing that thing with Bilhah, whether switching the beds or sleeping with her, whatever it may be. He admitted his sin. He wasn't ashamed to admit his sin. Maya Sofo, what happened? 
So now, umascharan, so we now ask, what's the reward? Mascharan kadakamrinan. What do you mean? We just said what the reward is. The reward is that uh, they go to Olam Haba. Alamascharan of Olam The question is, what reward did they get in this world? So the answer is from the next pasuk in Eov, lahem levadam They alone got the land and nobody, pa- no stranger passed through them. And it's by admitting their guilt and standing up and taking it and and uh, coming forward, they ended up with an inheritance that nobody could touch. Now let's take a look at this. We know that Yehuda admitted his sin. When Tamar was about to be burnt and she sent Yehuda the the uh, staff and the signet ring, etc., that had her that was his, and she said, "Maybe you know whose this is." Uh, Yehuda said, "Indeed, I do," and she is. She is uh, righteous and I'm not. Uh, he admitted his crime. Now, the Reuven and Odi. How do we know that Reuven admitted his sin? We never find uh, Reuven demonstrating tshuva or vidui. Why in Moshe's bracha is Yehuda right next to Reuven? And it says Reuven should live and not die. And then vizotli Yehuda... This belongs to Yehuda. What's the connection? Yehuda's bones were still bouncing around as if he was not at rest. Moshe got up and asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have compassion and let him come to rest. After all, who was it that caused Reuven, who inspired Reuven to admit his crime? Yehuda. Vizotli Yehuda, and so Vizotli Yehuda is a question mark. He says, this what's going to happen to Yehuda? So what happened is HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgave him. Miyad, Shema Adonai Kol Yehuda. So the next passage in that pasuk, look at the pasuk on the page, as he says, Hashem, listen to the voice of Yehuda, meaning allow him into Olam Abba. So he came to the door. They wouldn't let him into the Beit Midrash in Shemaim. So the next passage Moshe says is Velamotivianu, bring him into his nation, meaning to his people. So they brought him in, but he didn't know how to converse in learning with the other students there. So the next phrase is Yadav Ravlo, he should be strong. So he was able to converse with them. But he never had he wasn't successful in having his words be accepted as the halacha. So help him from his enemies, meaning here his his legal combatants, his uh, his uh, uh, combatants in the Beit Midrash. So Yehuda was successful in becoming like as of the Rosh Beit Midrash in Shemaim. So the the entire piece is brought just to demonstrate that Yehuda's schut was the fact that he inspired Reuven to do tshuva. So we know Reuven admitted his crime. Now, based on my Yehuda the Odi Kechiroloti Sarif Tamar, we understand why Yehuda admitted his crime. He had to to save Tamar's life. Reuven Lama to Odi. Why did Reuven admit his crime? We're now assuming that Reuven admitted his crime publicly. Sheshit said, I think somebody who comes up and publicly does a confession is very chatsuf. That's not a good thing. The answer is, so that fathers should not suspect the other brothers of doing it. So, um, so that's why he admitted, he admitted to spare his brothers. Okay, back to our Mishnah. So we say she writes a receipt for her tubat. This is a machlok in Masachik Tubot. We already looked at it uh, a while ago in, in our study. That uh, whether or not we write a receipt for a star which has been paid off. 
So it sounds like she writes a receipt that she already got her ketubah because she's not going to get it, and that way he's protected. But of course, the difficulty with the shavar is then the lender, or in this case the creditor, always has to carry on the shavar, otherwise somebody can come back and say, you stole me the money. And that's difficult. So, so the, don't read that she writes a sh- uh, shofar, but rather she tears up her ketubah. But the Mishnah doesn't say that. The Mishnah says she writes a receipt. Rav said, you know what this is? This is in, a, in the type of place where they don't write a ketubah. It's where there's no ketubah written. You have to have a shofar, because otherwise she can come forward and say, I never got my ketubah. And um, and um, and I want to collect, and so therefore, you ha- in a case like that, you have to have a shovar. That's his only proof that it's been paid up, or in this case, that she has lost it. Um, okay, Wait a second, Hatam Kaima. Well, the next step in the Mishnah said, if she says I'm tahara, they bring her up to the east gate. What do you mean? That's where this whole thing started. So the answer is they bring her down and they make her up and down and up in order to tire her out. Beitin does this with witnesses also. They take them from place to place so that they should become a little confused and they won't stick to their lie. In other words, if they're lying, this will confuse them. If they're telling the truth, they'll then stick to their guns. But if they're lying, that this will kind of tire them out and weaken the resolve. Same thing here. We really want to do everything to make sure the ceremony doesn't get completed. Now, we said that we bring her to the gate of, in front of the gate of Nicanor, because that's where we give the sota their water, and we do the tarata metzoran yoledet. And now, I understand why a sota is brought to the So therefore, it has to be facing the west, this is the east gate. He has to be in front of Hashem. Look at the whole pasuk on the page. my time. Why is a a woman who's given birth and is now bringing her korban after forty or eighty days? Why does she have to be there? So If it's because of the principle that a person should always be present as close as possible when the Corbin's being brought, a person's Corbin can't be brought unless he's standing there. So, then it shouldn't just be a Yoledit, it should be a Zav and a Zava also, who at the conclusion of their term, after they have had the full term, and then they've gone to the Mikvah, and had Arab Shemesh, they bring the Corbin, they should also have to be there. The answer is, you're right. They picked Yoledit as an example. But really, Metzora and Sot are there because of the Pasuk. And Yoledit and Zav and Zav are there because of the general principle that when you bring a Korban, which is your own Kapara, therefore you have to be present. Alright, You can't do the ceremony with two Sotot together. Why? Because she's going to think lowly of it. In other words, she'll take comfort from the other person's resistance, and they're going to build each other up. And even though she's guilty, she'll drink. Rabbi says, I agree with you, but not for that reason. Ella Amakra, the Pasuk says, Ota. Right? Ota Kohen. Ota means Ota Levada. Her and her alone, and not anybody else. Alright, Ota. So how does the Tanakam explain that? It says Ota. The answer is Tanakam or Bishimini. Our Tanakam is Rabshimin. It's Rabshimin versus Rabihuda. Rabshimin says there's a reason. Rabihuda says it's a Pasuk. Who what is Rabshimin? The Darish time in the Kra. Rabshimin is famous for interpreting and applying the meaning behind the text. 
Matam Kamar. He's saying, you know why it says Ota? Matam Otalavada? You know why the Torah mandated that the Sota has to stand alone and not with another Sota? So she shouldn't take comfort from the other girl and, and strengthen a resolve that is inappropriate. Now, my Binah, so what's the difference between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda? If a woman is trembling and, she, and and very afraid, then according to Rabbi Yehuda, she still can't, because he said there's a hard and fast rule, you can't have two together. According to Rabbi Shimon, because the reason doesn't apply anymore, you would say you can. If let's say if two women are both trembling, they're clearly not taking solace from each other, then it's fine. But rotetet mimashkin, since when do you give water to her? Meaning, if you have one of them or both of them as a rotetet, since when are you going to give it to two together? We have a general principle that we don't do mitzvot in bunches. That's why we don't take one cup for benching and sheva brachot. We have two separate cups. That applies also to Tarat Mitzorah. We don't have to bring two Mitzorahim up and say, you know what, as long as we're doing the ceremony, we'll do two of them together. If two slaves came at the same time to the Beit and said, we want to stay till Yovel, we don't do the Ritzia at the same time. If two murder victims, Lalein, were found between towns, we don't do the Egla Rufa ceremony at one shot. Right? Because that's the rule. We don't make bundles out of mitzvot. We try to give each mitzvah its own attention, and we try not to go on the short and on the quick. So he resolves it very simply. When you have one Kohen, then you have a problem with Chavilot, because Chavilot is on the performer. The performer should not try to go on the quick and on the cheap and do several mitzvot with one shot. So the Kohen shouldn't say, ah, you're a sota, you're a sota, come here. On the other hand, if you have two Kohanim, doing it with doing the ceremony with two sotot or two mitzoraim, whatever, present, then it's not a problem of chavilot. Then the only consideration here is that one may get solace from the other. So Rabbi Yudu would say, automatically, she can't be with another sota. Rabbi Shimon says she can. If she's trembling and shaking, then she can because she's not getting solace. Alright. The Mishnah then said he takes her clothes and he rips them. The text says he undoes her hair. But it doesn't say at Rosha, but Rosh Haisha. All I know is her hair, Gufaminine. How do I know that her body is also disheveled that way? Instead of Rosha, it's Rosh Haisha. So why does it say Ufarat Rosha? Why does it say Ufarat Haisha? Undo the woman, as it were. That shows you that the coin has to, that the clothes are just torn or whatever it ends up. With the hair, he has to undo her hair and unbind it and it comes out. All right, Rabbi Yehuda says that if she has a pretty body, then we don't uncover it. So it sounds like Rabbi Yehuda says that we're concerned about the onlookers and the lascivious um, looks that they'll give and the and the thoughts that they're going to get as a result of seeing her quasi-naked. And the Rabbanan don't seem to care about that, or they're not concerned. But we have the exact opposite positions in another context. This is in the case where a person is being executed by a skila. A man has a cover in front of him, a uh, loincloth, as it were. A woman has one in front and one in back, but that's it. Because both the front and the back are considered an erva, but otherwise she's naked. disagree, and they say a man is stone naked, a woman is not, she's clothed. So, Rabbi says there's not really a contradiction. You know what the reason here is? In Sota, she might end up being innocent. 
and then all of these Kohanim who were standing around who saw her half naked are going to start teasing her and harassing her. She'll won't hear the end of it. But But in the other case, she's dead. She's already convicted. She's going to die. So there's no concern of something happening afterwards. So you're going to turn around and say, I have a concern that they're going to start harassing other women. So can only affect things that, it, it, that the eyes themselves see, not by imagination, not by saying, I saw that woman naked, what's that? Was, maybe she looks like that. No, you're only the one that you saw. So this woman, who's a Sota, you actually see her. It turns out that she's innocent. She's going to come uh, back into life, into the society. And there'll be all these people who saw her uh, quasi-naked. Or Buddha says, that's going to lead to a terrible thing. But in the case of a woman who's getting stoned, there's no such concern. And it's not going to transfer to another woman. <clears throat> so you identified a, child, a, a contradiction within Rabbi You didn't notice that there's a contradiction within the Rabbanan's position, where in Sota they are, they say you can rip her clothes, and in the case of Skila we say she has to be clothed. So we solved Rabbi Lokasha, and I can answer that contradiction. Hacha time am I? What's the reason in Sota that they say she's undressed? All the women should come and be oppressed. They should get the message. In the case of execution, she's being executed. What else do you need? So you think maybe we should do as much as we can? She's being executed, executed, both kill her and also shame her. The pasuk says, it's interesting point, Berachagav, is this pasuk, which is perhaps the most popular phrase in all of Chumash, Rabbi Kiva says, Zeklag is quoted by Chazal, with one exception, only in this context, which is in the context of finding the most humane kind of execution. Brolo mitayafa. And therefore, since the woman is going already to be killed, let her die with dignity. Now, so now you can argue that perhaps Rab Nachman's point is disputed by the Tanaim. The Rabbi Yudah says, no, you don't do dignity, you strip her. So, everybody agrees to that principle. The question is just which is the greater kindness to do for somebody who's being killed. That the Rabbonan say, we're, we're more concerned about not degrading her and therefore, we'd rather do that, even though having clothes on is going to impede the death, and it's going to be a little bit of a longer death, but she'll be clothed. And Rabbi Yuna says, no, she's more concerned with suffering, and therefore she'd rather die quicker, even if it means being shamed. All right, so everybody agrees we try to find the nicest way, as it were, to, to kill them. Okay, the text of the Mishnah said that if she was wearing white or black, so Tana taught, by the way, if black clothes look nice on her, then she puts on dirty clothes. In other words, you make her look bad. It's not a hard and fast rule of black clothes, but it's rather make her look bad. So if she had jewelry, take it off. So it's a pshita, that's a no-brainer. After all, we go out of our way to make her look disgusting. So do we think she could put on jewels? So actually, we might think that this is more degrading. To be to be have really disheveled clothes on and be have your clothes torn open and be wearing fancy jewelry looks so silly. Like people say, like a crazy person takes all his clothes off and wears his shoes. Looks crazy. So Kamash Malan therefore teaches us that nonetheless we don't have to go that far to make her look strange. We take the jewelry off. So then we take this rope. 
So Bamina Rabbi Abba Mirav Huna. Chaval Mitzri Maoshi Akei Basota. Do you really need this thick rope? Is it just there functionally to make sure clothes don't fall down? So therefore even a little rope would be fine. Uh, or perhaps it's because of an expansion on the the poetic justice theme in Sota, which is in the Tosefta, I marked the spot on the page that says, because she wore a fancy little piece, therefore we bring this rough rope as to kind of uh, turn her intentions inside out. So perhaps it really has to be that rough rope. So I'm related to We have a right That's functional. It's there to make sure clothes don't fall down. All right. And the end of the Mishnah said, it said, anybody who wants to come see, and then later it says, all the women are allowed to come and see. Both men and women, men, men and women may come see. And then it said that all the women are allowed to see her. Sounds like only women. So say that when it originally said anybody can come see her means only women. But the Mishnah said anybody. Anybody includes men and women. Everybody is allowed to. Separately, a woman is obligated to come and see her. Alright? Because of the Pasuk that says, in Yechezkel, uh, the Pasuk that we used in the Mishnah, uh, that says, uh, All the women should uh, be uh, sort of get the Musar here and not do what you've done. So the women are obligated to come from an educational perspective. Everybody else is allowed to come. Men or women are allowed to come because part of the shaming is the fact that she's a public spectacle. Okay, uh, we will pick up at the next Mishnah, which begins the very lofty and long sugya of Midah, Kenegad Midah, in the next podcast. In the meantime, everyone should have a wonderful day.